0: Welcome to Miss Fizz. What's up? How are you guys doing? How is everything? Well guess what? Joseph Schooling just brought back home the first gold medal of Singapore. Well let's take a minute to congratulate him. So for our first time listener, welcome to Miss Fizz again. This is the podcast where I speak to the rebels, the troublemakers and some cool folks around Singapore. I'll try to see things as how they see it and learn from them. Some of this individual include Dr. Loretta Chen, who's the consultant for the Kingdom of Bhutan, and Betty Lee, who at the age of 60 years old, went backpacking around the world for 400 days. Today on the show, we have a very special guest who I deeply admire. His name is Kevin So. So Kevin is one of the most sought-after ad men. In town, uh, he entered the advertising industry back in the 80s with no certificate at all and worked his way up to becoming the chief creative officer for Pluvisys Asia. He then left his job uh, to spend more time with his children, and in a short span of time, his son, Dylan, has spoken two TED Talks, wrote a 2001 essay on Esquire, and so much more. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I do. Okay, I'm currently speaking with Kevin, so arguably one of the most sought-after creative in Singapore. Quit his job at the peak of his career uh, when he's the vice chairman, chief creative officer for Publicis Asia. Uh, Then he was driving a Maserati and uh, he traded that for a four-door pickup truck uh, where he sometimes gets accused as a contractor and being denied to his uh, friend's condominium. Uh, more than that, he's also a father of two and spends most of his time now with his kids, sometimes forcing them to present on stage and most notably on head stage. <laughs> okay.
1: I'm <laughs> a <laughs> Any <forcing>. argument? <laughs> 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 but, um, thank you for taking your time out. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Also, well, while
0: researching, uh, I encountered this main thing that kept bothering me. So you have like four O-levels and half an A-level. What does that mean? Was it was it because you have four O level subjects, or you took four O level? Oh
1: no, I had four O levels, uh, and I was given the choice to repeat your O levels, uh, but I chose not to, and then went to a private college uh, in the eighties called Stamford College. And when I first went into my college, um, my classmates were there's this girl that had just been released from prison because she <laughs> stabbed her boyfriend. Uh, and then there were a few other people who were, you know, either working in the army. Um, and it was a motley crew of people. So there were uh, some, some were already kind of adults and all. So this, this was in the 80s where you needed to have uh, uh, a degree or qualifications to get ahead.
0: Right? And during then after
1: that, you went into army. Yeah. So okay. even though I did my private college there, I still didn't do well. I, I, I enjoyed my life and my time there I learnt a lot um, um, so I did two years didn't get my A level I retook the test I still didn't get my A levels so was that the reason why it's called half A level yeah I, I had one A level pass in English I, and I did quite well in uh, my GP and a and, uh, pass in literature and that's it the rest no. then no. okay well to put some meat
0: on the bone side well we only one pass one subject and that's yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> okay, so after the, after the army, you came out and then you got your first job. I mean, not the first job, but in advertising of so well, uh, as a traffic.
1: Yeah, I think the journey from that was after the army, my, my dad came out and said, like, look, we're going to mortgage the HDB flat, the four-room HDB flat in and, and we're going to send you to uh, Australia, okay, to study and get a degree. Okay. my father was a civil servant my mother was a civil servant teacher and all. so they go back in the 80s if you don't have a degree you know you can't get ahead in life um, so at 21 I made the decision not I said no I can't I can't do that to you you can't mortgage the uh, flat because um, maybe I've grown up quite a lot during those years and you know a lot about yourself so I, I kind of realised that if I'd gone to Australia I won't come back with a degree <laughs> I'm very clear on that. (laughs) I might come back a father, but I wouldn't come back with a degree. So I said no. And my um, dad didn't speak to me for a while because he was quite uh, upset. Um, Then I started looking for a job. I was a uh, camera salesman, uh, film developer. uh, uh, I was a telemarketeer, lifeguard. I worked in Tampines Junior College in a fast food kind of stall selling stuff. So uh, for about a year, I was just doing these sort of jobs. Uh, in the meantime, trying to get a job in the Straits Times as a journalist, because...
0: Um, this is what you're good at, English. Yeah, writing was writing. good,
1: yeah. And the reply generally was, you need to have a degree, English degree, before you join us as a journalist. In the meantime, with your qualifications, entry-level grade 2 club is your position. <laughs> uh, so, uh, then it finally came down to a choice. Maybe I have to go into the banking industry and become a trader, because you don't need uh, qualifications. Uh, and somehow, rather, I lucked into this, uh, I wrote into this job for Ogilvy and & Mather, and it had a quote from David Ogilvy that says, we sell or else. So I wrote in an impassioned letter that says, I have these qualifications, but I'm good at this, blah, 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 so call me or else. And they called.
0: And back then, it was really, you wrote, as, you wrote not email, e- no, like, no, write. No, there's
1: no email, yeah, no. Oh, typewriter. yeah. Typewriter, and, and I hand wrote it and then sent it to wow. them. Then I interview. Um, and the same thing, I wrote in to be a writer, a copywriter, but they said, you have to have a degree. So, but they said, in the meantime, I have this job for you, which was in traffic. And traffic was so low down the totem pole, um, even the dispatch riders were ranked above us. They will make us buy coffee for them. So I'm curious, because like, I, I really don't know what, what is traffic. Like, do do we still use the term now? In In the past, but now now it's project management. So basically, traffic functions You're a glorified office boy where you take briefs from the account person who has met the client, you put it in the system, you pass it to the creative person, the creative person, and you chase the deadlines to make sure they come out with the ideas, to give it to the uh, account person to present the clients. That's all you do. You're just doing trafficking. (laughs) Okay. Briefs.
0: Because I was just puzzled, like... I mean, I was, I was like my friend. Of
1: course, now, now you, have, you have all the various apps now, like Evernote and Slack. Slack and all that. That's basically what I was doing before. Okay, your job got replaced by uh, yeah, of course. the
0: technology. Yeah, could you paint us a picture actually how I was it, like, working in a job agency like in the 90s? And you were wearing short, right? You, you briefly mentioned. Uh, I th-
1: yeah, I mean, it was... How was um, that like
0: any different from now?
1: You know, advertising then was uh, a new industry. There was no classes, no courses on it. Uh, and you learnt as you go. So it was a bit of a wild, wild west situation. And we had also a lot of... Uh, uh, in the creative department, because it was so new, so you had a lot of expatriates in. You have good ones and you have bad ones, like everywhere in life. Uh, the trick is, it's actually up to you how hungry... Uh, you are. So even though my job scope was traffic, I I made friends with all of them and then tried to get them to hey, can I also work on this? And when I'm done, can I show you? The good ones to go, yeah, sure, I'll spare because you're interested and you're hungry, they will spare you the time. The bad ones will go, No, you shouldn't be doing this. Just stick to your job. Okay. You go ahead and do that, and then after a while, if you're good enough, and somehow I was lucky enough, I got n- noticed, and then they gave you more and more things to do. Then I started doing more than what my job description was. And you from
0: from a traffic, you quickly rose up in a short, about yeah, three I mean, years to a ACD assistant uh, creative director. I
1: assume. No, no, what I mean, it? okay. So <laughs> I saw LinkedIn and I was uh, ACD. What uh, is What is, uh, is ACD? So no, in in the I joined as traffic. Yeah. Then I, uh, within a year, I was offered a position of either being an account person or a creative person. Right. I actually chose to be an account person to understand the business and client relationships. But while I was still an account person, I was still writing ads, which was quite odd. As in, I was doing these... <laughs> so you're doing both. A lot of... Yeah. And then finally, I was given a... Uh, so within maybe two or three years of, my, of that job as a, in traffic, I was then uh, awarded Employee of the Year. So okay, far. so I was the employee of the year and then they put me on the fast track. They, they, they say, okay, uh, the Swedish creative director whom, to be honest, I owe my career to, he plucked me out and said, you should be a writer. So I became a writer um, and, um, and then it took off from there. So then I went, I left Ogilvy, I went to YNR. Um, so within the second year of my Career, so I was winning some awards and ongavir. I won more at YNR, and at YNR in 1996 I left, Mm -hmm. and I said, and the the creative director asked me why am I leaving. I said, oh, I'm going to join this agency, Sachi's. Then he goes, oh, you you shouldn't go. You, I'll make you group head. Um, so I would have been 28 years old and a group head, which was quite a senior position for someone with only three, four years in the industry. And a group
0: head, just to put it into terms, is a head of the
1: the creative? Of a group uh, of creatives. Okay. Okay, then the ACD is associate creative director, then creative director. So he Got was it. the creative director. So he said, I'll make you a good group head. So I asked him quite tongue-in-cheek, but quite seriously, I asked, <laughs> are you going to move up to a regional position? Then he said, no, I'm very happy just running the Singapore office. Then I go, then I I can't replace you. eh? So I have to leave. (laughs) Um, So I was a bit ambitious. So I joined this agency, Saatchi's. They had a new creative director, David Droger, who just joined. He's uh, the same age as uh, me. And he came in as the regional creative director and and I was his first hire. And I remember our first interview and I go, I like this guy's energy and I I like his passion, what he wanted to do. Uh, And he goes, I like you, but I'm not sure about you. uh, So we'll put you on probation. And I go like, okay. Uh, So, you know, I'm already established, but okay, you know, I'll take you up on that. So I said, okay, in six months, I took a 20% pay cut. I shook his hand. I said, in six months, if it doesn't work out, I leave or you find me. It doesn't matter. But, okay. but in six months, if it does, then you restore uh, the salary. So I wasn't going for money. I was going for opportunity. Okay. And uh, in that two years from 96 to 98, I think I won practically every award around Asia and around the world. Uh, so it, it was an investment that paid off. And well, then you were then Associate Creative Director. Well,
0: um, what kind of, what awards were...
1: Uh, the biggest awards then were... What were the um, awards
0: are most proud to get? Uh, I mean... The, or the, yeah. the campaign they are most proud to work for? I think the I work d- that are most oh,
1: proud at during the, the most proud. Um, I did a lot of the work for the Singapore Navy in the mid... in the 90s and that, that was uh, very well received uh, both locally as well as uh, abroad. And the Singapore Navy then unlike the Army or the Air Force they were quite... Uh, willing to take risks, oh. so the the work was very different. It's not you know if you watch a Singapore Army commercial, to be honest, it's always uh, every year it hasn't changed. It'll be this shot of a jungle, and then suddenly people emerge, <laughs> Ta-da! you know, like you know I'm kind of fl- so every year it's the same thing. But the the Navy work had a bit of uh, wit and and be- they didn't have to recruit in big numbers, so they wanted to recruit uh, smarter and more interesting people i remember the we did this mrt poster uh, it had a guy that was slide whenever the train slop, stops the, the guy was slide and then when it goes it slides back because it's inertia right and kinetic energy and all of that so we had to experiment to get the right weight on and basically in uh, one poster was him sliding from the photocopier machine to the photocopier machine then it, it said, is there more to life than than that? You know I mean? That, the idea of there's adventure on the high seas awaiting you or the mundane office life. There was another one where he was sliding between two bosses, one boss pointing at, at the other boss. So all he did throughout the whole MRT thing was sliding. <laughs> so for them, they did it. I mean, and those were the days where we took the poster, we went on the train, no one was looking. We put it up and then quite tried to figure out how how heavy should that figure be to slide on and off. And uh, tell me about the mechanics that actually go It was on a curtain. roller, uh, and you had to put weights behind the guy. So, so is that, it like the,
0: the the curtain?
1: Yeah. So, we had to engineer all that. So, but so there was all, all these things were uh, fantastic. Uh, we could do it, and um, we did work for... Um, uh, um, CDL and, and these property agencies and, um, and we won awards even for property ads, right? If, in terms of awards, then the, the biggest awards, the two biggest were uh, the British Design Art Directors Club, which was very hard to get into and just to get in was an achievement and uh, most years, no one won a gold. Most people just got a silver. And then the other one was the <coughs> New York One Show. That would be the Oscars of the advertising show.
0: Is it two is now?
1: Yeah. Well, there are a lot more like all things. There are a lot more shows out there than now. Um, but the, the, in in nineteen, yeah, in the before two thousand, those were the big shows.
0: And it was the Navy ad that brought you.
1: What well, Navy? And uh, there was a Toyota Corolla ad, which was uh, uh, you know it, that that was the ad that won a lot of awards. Uh, it was. Uh, the idea that we're very protective, overprotective, parents are overprotective towards their children. That's all. So you should drive the world's safest family car. That's... The visual was uh, a baby wrapped up in bubble wrap <laughs> and wearing a bubble wrap suit with a cap. And we actually had this young uh, Singapore Poly um, uh, um, student sew and stick the whole thing on on the baby and we quickly shot it. Those were the days when, you know, Cruelty to babies was <laughs> still... You know. I don't know how you will see the ad now. Uh, it's, it's online, you can find it. So, so that, that... Oh, that's that, great. Um, that, yeah, that one big around the world as well.
0: Yeah, and, and so that... Then you move over to New York City to work at um, Fallon and Fallon. Fallon,
1: yeah.
0: But Fallon. Now, now that's the question is, you were the big fish in this small pond. Why did you want to jump over to the big pond and become the smallest fish all right. over again. I
1: think... Uh, and th- back
0: then, you also mentioned that your dad had actually some health problems, that yeah. you were having a dilemma to go to New York City.
1: So, uh, if you look at my career, it's always been a series of, of risks, right? Decided not to go to Australia for a university, so you decide to do things on your own decided to uh, you got a job in advertising, uh, in advertising and then you moved to another agency and moved to another and took a pay cut to get there so there was this so in 1998-99 i won all the awards uh, Droger was then promoted and he went to london and i was asked do you want to go up to london so i was given a choice or a uh, work around asia i had to pick off any job around asia uh, I think that was the stage where it kicked in again and go, actually, why don't we figure out how good you are in the world's biggest market? Let's go to America. So that's the second, that's, that's the leap that you take again. So at every stage in your career, you keep pushing yourself to be a little bit more uncomfortable uh, and to go into the unknown. What's the worst that can happen? You don't make it in America, you can come back. Um, so uh, the decision was made in 1999. I go, okay, let's go. I told my girlfriend, now wife. Then I said, let's go on this adventure. She goes, awesome, let's go. Um, and we did this huge road trip uh, throughout America in 1999, uh, interviewing from LA up to Seattle, down to uh, uh, up to Port, uh, Portland, Portland yeah, then down to Washington. Richmond, Virginia, then Boston, New York, and. And also, I interviewed and got into all these uh, some prestigious agencies and met them. It just happens that people say I'm lucky, but I, I think uh, you you work very hard to, to be lucky. Um, so it just happened to be on that day in New York I managed to get tickets to the one show. And on that night, I won two golds, uh, three silvers and it was very close to being the best of show. And I had then after that, all the headhunters coming to you and talking to you. Then I I almost literally then had a uh, uh, a pick of any agency I wanted to go to. Now that wouldn't have happened if I didn't make the decision to. So imagine if I was in Singapore, I wasn't up there, it would be completely different. They'll go like, oh, this person what well, I don't know who he is. And you
0: you, from... you actually send your 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 work in.
1: Yeah yeah, all the agencies submitted the work okay. around the world. Okay, and you
0: some uh, you you were representing. Uh, then it was Sachi. Yeah, Sachi
1: Singapore. I, yeah, Sachi Singapore sent a whole bunch of work. We send a whole bunch of work every year. So it's not me. The, 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 com- the agency would send it. But you were there at the show. Yeah, I was. Yeah. It's Which just you would get, the then
0: get pitched at by the under and.
1: So you can say I was lucky, but again, it's a series of when you think of the process and the journey, it's yes. not actually luck. But if you look at the isolated incident, it looks like it's luck. I
0: don't, definitely, I agree that it's not luck at all. You have put in a lot of hard work before even in yeah. Singapore, and, and that's the credential you need to you have before deals. you can make the next step, yeah. right? So I'm curious about the advertising agencies, you know, like you, you being like one of the top guys there. Can you tell me about how the model works, the business model in advertising works before, you know, what, and what are the supporting roles that formed around it? I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit on creative and uh,
1: traffic and... Well in the days, in those days, it was quite simple. It was, uh, you have uh, a group of people called the account people who would manage the clients, meet the clients, talk to the clients about their needs. And then they'll come back, they'll brief, uh, write a brief, and then brief the creative people to produce it. And then there's auxiliary people like traffic, the production people, whether it's producing print, radio, or TV. Simple. Right? Nowadays, it's a lot more complex. You have planners, strategic planners, uh, who will then figure out what the business problems, who, uh, who are you talking to, what's your uh, demographic, psychographics, uh, a day in the life of your target consumer to find out where are the points that they're most susceptible or most uh, open to the message that you want to deliver, etc. So it's become obviously a lot more complicated. And there are so many more uh, channels to go through, right? So there's no no one... How many people read newspapers these days, right? So if newspapers are out and radio is out, then all these other channels come in.
0: Yeah, and, and I always hear that, you know, like advertising can actually earn a lot of money. And by that, maybe because back then... It was the, during the golden age of advertising where industrialization just yeah. started and people were susceptible to the message that you can actually put in and how much message you put in. So how does the, where does the money come from? And so how big is it really the big money? Uh, if,
1: you, if you go to any job site, uh, any headhunter job site, you can get an idea of what a creative director makes or what a managing director of a large agency makes. They, they make anywhere from... Uh, um, uh, depending on the agency, anything from twenty thousand to fifty thousand a month, and that's excluding uh, year-end bonuses, etc. So there is money. Whether the money is still there is another question, as budgets are cut or it goes into other things. So
0: from what I'm seeing, it's kind of like a big company. Say for example, some way comes to the the company and like lets a few company bits bid for the. Yeah, correct. And so they will have a budget to start with. And, and so you, you decide how you want to use it. So once you, the idea is good, they liked it, you get the whole business and you get to use the amount of budget in the way of...
1: Like, yeah, in an ideal world, that's how it sounds like. <laughs> but it, yeah, but I mean, you're paid for every... Like in any business, you're paid for a goods and service that people think are valuable. If it's not valuable, then the, you're, you're paid less. Okay, Uh, the thing that our industry had in the the past was there's this famous quote like I spend uh, something like I waste um, I spend half my budget on advertising something like that I think, but the guy basically says it's working but I don't know which half. So there was a we couldn't account and figure out whether advertising really worked or not. You can say people liked your brand, there was more awareness and all of that. But in this day and age, when you go online advertising uh, and, and 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 creating your content, instantly you can see uh, the accountability, the number of hits going up, people interacting or people engaging with you. For example, as again, I'm oversimplifying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so your your whole method of okay, so advertising. It'll take you six months, let's say, to shoot a very complex TV commercial. And you plan to run it for a year, sometimes two years. So imagine running the same content for two years or even a year. Try doing it now. You run it for a month, people get bored.
0: Right now, there's actually a lot more work to be done because then you create a lot more content.
1: (laughs) So yeah, but you don't have the luxury of six months to finish a TV commercial. You get you're given six months and go do me a hundred short snippets. Mm, mm. Okay, so the process has evolved, the process has changed, and people's relationship with um, communication has evolved. So you 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 learn, do and fix, and you you test, you copy test, and you fix and you on the go as well to figure out what headline what works, what words can resonate. Yeah, all of that. So you do that now.
0: Yeah. Well, no, because I'm always intrigued by it because, you know, how they say that your idea is, in, at least in marketing, you're really being sold on the idea. But truth is, you're actually being sold on the services that you, put, uh, that you actually give later on. The idea is just to clinch the deal.
1: Yeah, but, you know, as with all things, there's <laughs> the democratization of, of uh, talent happening. So, in the old days, you could be a photographer and people go, oh my God, you know, no one could do that. Now, everyone with a handphone, Is a photographer, and if you look at the yearly Apple iPhone photography competition, some of the shots are fantastic, and they're taken by everyday people. So you don't command that expertise and that that level where you used to, and very few people arrive there now. Mm. You know, most everyone's competency has gone up. My twelve-year-old son can tell you, ah, you know, you've heard of the golden ratio? Yeah, you should. One third, one third, one third. You know, he knows these things. Yeah. Right, So the quality has gone up, uh, the expectations have gone up, Yet, but yet now more people can do it. So if you're a photographer, you're being squeezed. Where's your money coming from?
0: So is the, market, is the advertising industry would be the it's same? It's the same
1: thing. So thing the challenge that's facing the advertising agency now is that in the past, the, the, uh, uh, the, <clears throat> the idea was... Um, you spend 30% of your time and money to, to make the product or goods and services as, uh, as, as into the best quality as possible, 30%. The other 70% you spend on shouting about it. So the industry could make money because that's roughly how much they spend. In this day and age, people spend 70% of their time and money to make the product as good as possible and thirty percent shouting about it. So now the budgets are all cut, and there's a smaller piece of the pie. Why? Because if you make a good product, in this age of connectivity, people pass it on and tell each other about it. That's the best one of advertising. There's nothing better than word or mouth. So you don't you you see a few Apple com, uh, uh, kind of commercials here and there, but mm. most of the time. You, you get news of it from a leak somewhere. Remember the infamous one where uh, they found some iPhone. Apple phone in a bar somewhere that conveniently was next to some <laughs> tech guy that could write about it? Yeah. All right, wow, fantastic. <laughs> and then that dominated the news. That's very interesting. Do you need an ad after that? No, everyone's aware of it. Everyone's eagerly ante- anticipating it.
0: And I think that really comes back to the, the next question which is How do you see advertising when you're like, when you're 28, when maybe you're in New York in Fallon, and versus how do you see advertising now? The word itself, I mean, Um, what are your views on, on, on
1: it? I think in the past, there was a fair bit of command and control where the brand can say, I'll say this and people will follow and listen. And and I liken My analogy would be uh, Going back to parenting I, I love using these analogies okay. Because I've spent so many of my years Being a parent uh, But In the old days It's like My dad When he tells you Go do this You would listen And you would do it In this day and age It's less about control It's more about influence mm. And collaboration So I can't I can tell my son Or my daughter Go do this they can choose to go, yeah, 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 but they don't do it. Or they might resent you and go, you know, I hate you and your brand. And I'll never do that again. So you can't employ uh, yesterday's techniques and solutions for tomorrow's problems. And tomorrow's problems come very quickly. So it's actually now today. So our, our kids, you have to give them reasons why sometimes entertain them, sometimes... Um, cajole them sometimes empathize with them so that you have to whatever it takes connect with them and not shout your message because they're very wary of it so the everyday customer uh, consumer out there if you shout about it people go like I get pissed off right you're surfing uh, how many of you actually watch your pre-roll YouTube commercials so I... you, you you watch five seconds then you yeah. go, you've got the chance you don't some are hang... good yeah but so how, many of the, how many yeah, of them? Yeah, that's true. Most of them, you just skip. And, and if I had to sit down and watch 30 seconds, I'd be annoyed. <laughs> and if you watch the habits of my, my children, it's the same like us. When the TV commercial comes on, you flip to other channels. Mm. So he opens a new page and he'll surf and you can hear that in the background. Then when it's over, he'll go back to what it is. So you've just wasted money. So
0: you say that because of that, and that sort of makes advertising... Less in demand and less interesting as a person who are inside advertising. Your copy, I mean, I, I'm just looking at just ads in general now versus before uh, when I, I give the example of Apple ad where I'm PC and I'm a Mac. And right. back then it was revolutionary. That, that, that ad was like, wow, you know, it, right. yeah, I think it had an idea and it was a great idea. Um, as a person and you being inside the ad agency, it, is, it has become less interesting and, and your influence on the brand, on your idea, has sort of dropped in value. Would you say that that's the reason maybe why you got out? But of course, I mean,
1: there's a lot of other reason too. No, I, th- I think if you go, this is what I do and this is the only thing I, I know what to do, then like all things, you become obsolete. So when the world changes around you, you go, it's less interesting because I'm really good at this. I'm the best photographer in the world and people have moved on to other things. And that's what you hold on to because that's the only thing you can do. I think advertising obviously uh, needs to reinvent itself because uh, um, the world has moved on exponentially and yet the business hasn't moved on as quickly. Okay, so my, the reason why I left was a combination of, of, of uh, uh, reasons, predominantly because I, I, I go... Okay, it goes back to my point of view about the world, that at no point in human history uh, is humanity going through this rate of exponential change. Okay, at no point in the world are uh, uh, things changing so quickly exponentially. Mm. Eight years ago, Nokia was number one. Have you all used the Nokia phone before?
0: Exactly. I, I did. Okay.
1: okay. Ah, uh, 3310. Yes. Now, eight years from uh, then, when they were number one and had 40% of the market share to being shut down by Microsoft. In 2008, Yahoo was valued at uh, $44 billion. Microsoft wanted to buy them. And the, last week, they were sold to Verizon for $4 billion. Uh, Yahoo had a chance to buy... Google at $3 billion, and now Google is worth, what, $600 billion. Okay, so that's exponential change. So if exponential change happens to companies and businesses, you bet it's going to happen to your life. Okay, you bet that if Apple introduces next year, the iPhone 7 is the same shape, people's interest will go like, uh, you know, come on. People are expecting you to wear that, wrap it around your wrist, and then flip it into uh, a tablet size. <laughs> that's the exponential... Yossi. That's the exponential expectation. Yep. Right? So if that's going to happen, then you have to think a lot of things will have to follow suit. Whether it's society, whether it's countries, whether it's education systems, and of course advertising.
0: So you think that you, you think that your job might be obsolete and hence getting out?
1: Of course it will uh, be obsolete. Yeah. Different. So assume. Don't even ask. Just assume your job will be obsolete. Then start from there. What are you going to do next? Mm -hmm. Assume that exponentially medical science improves. Okay? My mother's life expectancy is 85. Mine could be 100. Could be 120. Because in 20 years' time, medical science will reach a stage that 3D printing years now, right? Organs too. Organs too. So in 20 years' time, they go like, Kelvin, you know, those years of drinking your liver. Uh, Come back next week, we'll extract some cells, and we'll print you a new liver. Okay? Suddenly, I can't die. Okay? Suddenly, I outlive your, my 99-year-old leasehold HDB. What are you going to do? Suddenly, you can't retire at 67 and get a CPF because medical science has moved on so quickly. And you have to work. To, so, what's the current thing? You graduate, come out at 24, go into workforce, work, work until in 99, and then live on after that? No. So I thought, if that's going to happen, I'll take a, a midlife sabbatical. I'm betting that I will live to 100. So I'll leave my job, spend a few, supposed to be a couple of years, but kind of went overboard. Uh, but, <laughs> two years, right? Yeah, supposed to be two years. And then spend the time with the kids, watch them grow up, and then go back to work. And then hopefully reinvent and go into the next stage or next evolution of your career.
0: Was there any um, particular incident that made you say that was the time that time to go was it the kids
1: well we'll go back we'll go back to my dad where in 2000 well 1999 when I was offered uh, uh, an associate creative director's position at Fallon which was then the top three um, uh, creative agency in America and I was the first Asian to to, you know be offered such a high position in uh, New York Uh, And my dad, who had been a civil servant all his life, a legal clerk, um, he retired at sixty-three, and a year after his retirement, uh, they found out he had stage four liver cancer. So I made, uh, I had a heart-to-heart chat with my father and go, look, I can stay back, look after you. I don't have to go. I'm willing to give all that up. So. He did what any other father would have done, which is you had to go and you pursue your dreams. Go. Um, so I did go, uh, did come back, did fly them over to New York, and they went to Alaska. They went to uh, all over. Um, but that was a lesson where you there's no guarantee this dream or this process or this plan that people plan out for you and say you work, 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 but come 67, you get all your money and you can enjoy. There's no guarantee you're in uh, a good condition when you're 67. There's no guarantee. So why are you planning so far ahead? And why are you forgoing all these things? You don't want to end up going, you know, at your deathbed, going like, shit, there are so many things that I wish I had done. So one of the things uh, the, that, that that you should think about when you're young is to actually sit down and write your eulogy. Because that gives you an end point. And your eulogy, when you write it, is never about, oh, I'm going to, I led a great life. I had all these cars. I had these houses. You never write about your physical possessions. You write always about your experiences. I've done this. I met these people, fallen in love, done this, raised fantastic children, or not, had some regrets. Those are the things. So then focus on that. Then you'll get that. So that's, that's, I think, the biggest reason why I left the, the industry and why, perhaps, uh, you have to have the courage to to, do, uh, to actually execute, execute that. You know? Just remind yourself that you're going to die one day and suddenly all the rest of it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, no, because I, I remember I was interested in marketing before and I think that there was one point... Uh, <laughs> I think 7-Eleven came out. I was like, hey, you know, we got a great product, new product uh, on the market. And it's like, okay, what is this? You know, it's like, oh, we have this chicken rice that you can uh, microwave. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> Over in my life, hence, um, I actually had to a gap year after that and went to uh, wedding planning uh, now. So on the funny note, actually, so I was told that uh, you're, you're quite a swimmer.
1: Uh, when in the marketing days, you wear your you wear your speedos. Was that in the in Singapore or is it in? in the- I was uh, swimming for the country at uh, when I, up till I was twelve. So I was training competitively uh, and competing every year. And when I was about twelve, I think twelve or thirteen, I was asked to join uh, the swimming in Topayo. And that time, Ampeng Siong was a few years older than me. He okay. was swimming. So that meant having to wake up at five o'clock to go to Tupaya swimming pool to train and then shower and then go to school and then finish school and then come and train again in the afternoon and then go home and all. So i like, no. And then my mom was like, no, I'm not going to drive you. <laughs> that took a lot of effort, you know. Right. My mom would have to wake up at 4.30 to send me there and back. So so prior to that, I was swimming, then I gave it all up.
0: It's sort of a recline with your old... Uh hobbies
1: when you're in marketing well uh, yeah look i i i i spent my entire primary school and secondary school in the school band so i played the saxophone um and uh that was uh, i enjoyed it a lot and i was in tanjong Katong technical secondary school where uh, we we won a lot of uh, uh band competitions uh, mm-hmm. it was good times i enjoyed it a lot i didn't study but i enjoyed it a lot
0: No, I just thought that that might be like one of your routines to relieve stress or make yourself more creative while you're (laughs) swimming.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I tell you what was scary. When Jaws came out and I was swimming, and I was training in the old Mount Emily swimming pool, which was so old school swimming. uh, It had these uh, wooden boards that were all uh, on the side and the water was flowing through. Wooden boards? Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah. old school. So it's concrete and then wooden boards. <laughs> okay. So each time you kick off the wooden board, uh, you're afraid that if you kick too hard, the boards might, might break. But uh, when Jaws came out, I remember watching Jaws. I thought wow, that's so scary. And I swam faster for that whole month because you, 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 you imagine be there was, a, on the other side, there was a, a shark waiting to come out again. <laughs> that was the only motivation. Okay. <laughs> Yeah um. Oh wait wait The other thing was I used okay. to play the organ Okay So As uh, well when I was swimming And doing, so I did a lot of things So I was organ I remember at 7 I had to perform At the Victoria Concert Hall On stage uh, In a pair of shoes That my mum bought for me That was blue And red And pink I kept it Okay it's a side thing But okay. I, I should have kept it that was um, some, some, some cool shoes that you had. It was some cool shoes. Okay, so, uh, no, all, all I wanted to say was that the, the good thing was my parents put me and let me do a lot of things. Right. Uh, they didn't push me after when the interest died down. Mm. But it was good exposure. Mm. Okay? And I think uh, at an uh, early stage with uh, children, my lesson is when kids are young, you should give them and let them try and experiment and do as many things as possible. Yeah. That's, that stimulates their minds to be more curious and to be open to new ideas. But when you start putting them into tuition at a very early age, you're actually closing their minds up. For sure, I agree okay. with you. Sorry, so two years. <laughs> yes, two years. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, it, might, it must be hard um, being you know, from Maserati to pick up truck. I, what I want to ask really is like, firstly, the bigger question is the financing part of it. And then secondly, to put some meat to the bones, like how much then were you getting then drop down to
1: whatever that you are not getting? Uh, I, I, no, when we made the calculations, we, we said, okay, we would... I do a little bit of consulting. There's not a lot of money. Uh, in it, but um, we said we will survive off our savings uh, until we come too close to running out. Then we'll go back to work. That was the, the and we could survive on two years, um, and that was something that we 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 thought was important for the kids' lives. Now, <clears throat> um, you have two kids. Then you need to finance all that. Yeah, so we planned also... everything out. So it's okay. not like... So there was, was money
0: enough for two years. I was years.
1: fortunate enough that, yes, we've saved and there was money enough for two years. Um, and then also, it's, it's good to take a break from it. My, my grandfather used to say, if you can drive a car, don't forget to take a bus. How to take a bus. So I think stepping down, <clears throat> moving up, people think if I earn 2000 that's good, but if I earn four thousand, I can save two thousand. What happens is when you earn four thousand, you spend four thousand. Uh, and in this day and age, the the when you there's no point putting money in your bank because it's not earning interest. They want you to spend. So in fact, when you earn four thousand, they want you to spend six thousand. That's the reality. So you can earn more and more money, but increasingly you go into debt and you owe more people, and therefore you can't stop work. So I think. The reverse happens, which is when you're at a certain level, to drop down is very difficult. Mm. Okay? Um, so there's, Especially the spending habits. Yeah, spending habits. And you're thinking about oh, you know, your opportunity cost and, and all. But you, again, have to focus on a point of view. And my point of view is, is an exponential future. Time is the new money. If I don't have that time with the kids now, I can't buy that time back you can be as successful as you want but at 60 years old your children are estranged from you because you're not around when they needed you most and they're completely different human beings from the ones that you envisioned them or that you had hoped for so rather than that i go okay it's not even a comparison you just go okay you forego that for this
0: and how did that two years was up money was out and what what happened what was the new plan that took over
1: then you for, for money. you you, I for do you, for more you. consulting, and then okay. you cut down on your spending, and you don't shop as much, and you don't go to work, so you come, <laughs> you walk around like this. <laughs> okay, um, and I think um, you see. Um, no, I want
0: to. I really want to stress on this because I feel that. Um, people hear that like oh you do that because you know you have so much and so much and so much and I just want to put some numbers sort of like how much what sort of habits do you got to kick out what were really hard to kick out and you know like what what new
1: habits they form that are important to, to, to save and you know even for the kids well you, you just shop less and you buy only the things you need to buy and you buy you, it doesn't you buy things that are made well so that they last longer okay and you learn to make more of the things yourselves. So, like my my son learns carpentry and that makes the things that he needs to make. My daughter learns how to sew, and these are important things. Um, numbers are numbers. I mean, you you, you I, I think it comes down to a sense of uh, uh, self confidence and belief that you go if you really need to go back to work, you figure out a way to go back to work. Yeah, you will survive. You know, the important thing is to have your wealth, uh, your health, but not, not think, oh, but I want to get back to that level. You go, no matter what, you survive. So you can forgo all those things, but what you have is you still have your family structure, you still have the kids that you want. The rest is just stuff, immaterial. When you die, you can't take this house with you.
0: So uh, I think moving on, um, I think you touched on the point whereby uh, you want to spend more time with kids. Uh, mm. and I saw you in your talk by, uh, at South and Southwest, they mentioned the theory of the beautiful compromise. So you have given them the greatest gift of all, which is time and attention. Um, and kids being kids, do you think that they see it as the greatest gift or as being a naggy father
1: <laughs> hangs out too much with them? No, I think... What it is now and before? Because they, I left at the stage when Dylan was eight or nine, nine, and Ava was around five or six. That was the stage where they still wanted you. So Dylan's coming to the fourteen end of this year. He's a teenager. And when he doesn't need you, then you can go back to work or do... Because the, the teens need their space as well. I get that. So at the most crucial stage, you're there with them and be there with their development. Um, uh, and that's... I don't know whether it's the the greatest gift for them. It's still a long ways to see how they turn up. But it was certainly selfishly very good for me. And I think it has also been really good for uh, my wife as well. So she's not the only one bringing them up. And both kind of divide the roles to do. But if you see the development in the past five years in our children, then uh, you look at it and go for all the money in the world you wouldn't you wouldn't have done it uh, any other way um so if you look at Dylan now, if you think of his resume, because Singaporean parents judge our children, their resume is their grades, right yeah, whether they got degree, whether they got this, and all that i he's an average student, but he's Resume is he's given the first TEDx talk at 10, second one at 12. He's written an illustrated a book with me. He's about to launch uh, on Indiegogo, and he's done the videos. He's figured out a marketing angle and a sell. All these things, um, and he's writ- written a 2,000-word article for, for um, Esquire on, on to his future son. All these things are on his resume at 13. How many of us could have said that for ourselves when we were thirteen? No, and who knows what the world will be in the next seven years? But certainly, those soft skills and those value, uh, those values, will be more important than just having a degree for a particular industry that might be obsolete. Mm.
0: No, I, I I couldn't agree more. One of the most difficult part I find that my parents need to go through is to find a balance of you know giving compliments uh, when he or she is doing well versus having a discipline to carry uh, what you want to do through so the question is how do you strike the balance of if there, or if there's any balance at all in this
1: yeah i mean okay it comes at
0: people, it could be like a new idea a new passion every other day i, right? I will roll my eyes
1: people <laughs> people debate about oh should i cane my children or should i oh that's wrong and all Okay, it all is very contextual, it depends on where you come from and it depends on your, your the life or uh, the vision that you want your child to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm. it's not don 't get me wrong We, we, we have uh, a discipline, and we have cane our kids before uh, on very rare occasions, but on certain things where we go. here are clearly defined lines that you cannot cross. The rest is a bit murky and gray because life is not black or white life is Large parts are grey and a little bit of black and white. And there's some clearly defined lines. You're growing up in Singapore, and Singapore has harsh laws and rules. So you ha- they have to know there are certain things that you can push, certain things you can't because the consequences are there. Mm. So you spell it out to them. And those things are valuable to you. You pick, you go, don't lie to your father or your mother. You know, if you say you'll do something, make sure you do it. And, and, and all that. So certain things that you hold dear, the values... The rest of it, we are open to having a discussion. Now, people who then raise their children without this absolutes and go, everything is not absolutes, then sometimes the kids grow up thinking they can push and, and do everything that way. Life that isn't that either. So my vision of life is life is very flexible. You play as you go, but there are certain things that you cannot do. You cannot take another person's life and then think it's okay. Yeah. Okay? And so you need to be very clear on those. And that's how we kind of raise them now. Then the caning and disciplining follows into that point of view. Rather than, let's talk about the caning and the disciplining. Mm. So
0: it's it's a clearly defined boundaries. Everything inside is a discussion. And this boundary is enforced by um, certain um, punishment that comes. Yeah,
1: because you're very clear on, in your head, uh, what's valuable and how you want them to grow up, rather than, in the old days, the, the, my, par- my father raised me, it was, uh, you don't talk until the adult has spoken to you, and you never question your father, you can't go, mm, dad, you know, can we just sit down and talk about it, no, it will be a slap across the face, and I don't bring up, we don't bring up our children that way, where we might tell them to do something, so, and then the kids will go, mm, Okay, you don't think that's right, what do you think? So you give them the opportunity to tell you what they think. Because if not, how are you going to bring up self-confident kids? And then they will go, I think I'll... And it should be done this way. So your role as a parent go, shut up, just do it my way. Okay? And the child will grow up to resent you and not learn anything. Or you go, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll let you try that. If it doesn't work, can you go back to what we talked about? Mm. But on the rare occasions where he's or she's done this and it works, then you as an adult have to be big enough to go, you know what? I've learned something. And you learn something along the way. You're right. Let's try this. All along I thought you couldn't now. Then suddenly the kid goes, you know, it's okay to push. It's okay mm. to have my own point of view. It's okay to try something. How many of our kids are brought up that way? How many of our kids that you see walking around now mm. have that self-confidence to do that? I think
0: you, you, you're a quite a clear picture. So I think with... just just so people who are listening wanted to implement whatever system that, that you're trying to <laughs> They implement their uh, own. I think the, own, yeah. the, most, the most important part about that system is actually the boundaries. So, I mean, would you be able to stress out the, the boundaries that uh, you set and sort of like the, the punishment or reward system that comes, that follows behind
1: it? Well, that's the usual. Ah, Unless okay. it's really serious, then the cane comes out. And that's when they're young. Right? You don't cane a teenager now. Mm. right? You shame them. You guilt them. No, okay. you don't. You 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 there just you, 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 you won't you, talk to you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, you go sometimes words are if we keep using physical pain as a means to punish, then people only react to the pain mm. but not understand the why. Mm. And you've got to get people to understand the why. Okay? So you, you explain talk about it clearly. First?
0: Of course. Then you can.
1: Yes. And you go, this is the reason why it's done. Mm. not because i'm in a rage and i don't like it at all and to be honest for any parent first time parent you tend to parent according to how you were parented yes so you know i was brought up in that strict kind of by a strict father and initially there was that you move towards that but then what changes is you need to go hang on, the world's very different because it's developing this way. It's very different from the world I was coming up mm. from and my dad's world. So I can't keep using that same methods. Then you create and invent your own. Or you read about other people and you take the best bits. But it starts with every parent having that point of view. Mm. The problem I find with a lot of parenting books is parents follow trends. <laughs> but when you ask them, how do you, what's the world they you envision oh. your child to grow up in? How do you want child? They go, I have no idea. They don't think about the end destination, they keep thinking about the how.
0: I think today I was just also reading on this thing called attachment parenting where you're supposed to bring your kid everywhere and when your kid cries, you just got to pay attention to it like right away immediately. And how how that can be so wrong, right?
1: Do you think life is going to be like that? No. Uh, when your no. when your kid is forty years old and he's crying <laughs> and he expects mother to or dad to be there, do you want to be? And no. there's the book that sold like one
0: point five million copies. So yeah, people. Or is it coming back? Uh, some boundaries to just give. Uh, so uh, give some head start to like, the Lying. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. Big no no, and and the uh, value of of uh, so that's tied to living up to your word. If you say you do something. You make sure you do it. Mm. Um, Is there the, like the three, okay, one time, two times, and take
0: three? You, you go and get heavier, the punishment?
1: You, you, you always go, you sit down and try to explain first. Okay. Just and, and, take one. And it's very clear. And then if you go willfully, keep doing it, then you go like, do it. Come on, we spelt it out, and you know we've told you no more chances, you shouldn't be doing And you keep doing it. It's, you, 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 it's no one's fault but yours now. You've been given the option and we tell our children that there are a lot of things you can't control in life. So you can only focus on the things that are within your control. What's within your control? Your own behavior and the things that you, you do or not do. Mm. So they know those things are very important. Yeah, Being rude... And not respectful is also very. I don't expect them to be subservient. I expect them to be cocky, to be witty, to be sarcastic, and all of that, and to to be mouthy. But I don't expect them to be rude. How will you draw that line? When they're rude, then they they shut sh- you and go you know, or no, I don't. And then go, you know, that doesn't solve the this situation. Mm. You, you teach them from here. You know, and say when you shut off like that, I shut off as well. Okay. Okay. The best thing I found is you as a parent go mimic their behavior. Go, ah, yeah, then you go then when they talk to you reasonably go, ah, yeah, then you behave <laughs> like them. Then they get so pissed off you go, oh so now you know how I feel. You know. <laughs> That's great. So you do it back to them. Okay.
0: <laughs> Alright, uh, move on. Uh, you have adopted the, the, the stance actually to teach uh some really uh, high-level presentation skill. All the way to that actually. Um, was that something that you saw that he have a potential for? Because he was then playing guitar? Or was it something that you think is important for the next generation? Hence, maybe on that note, you will also be imparting that same set of skills to Eva
1: as well. Yeah. So I think you you have to look, as, uh, you look at you have to look at children as individuals. Okay? Our current education system looks at everyone and makes them all the same must pass this exam, pass this, so you all move it. There's no specialization or individualism, so to speak, right? Um, The system doesn't go, oh my God, you're so good at uh, cello, but the rest of it sucks, never mind, you know? They make, they actually tell you, you should cut down on your cello time and go and learn more math and Mandarin to be like everyone. So in the end, you just become average. Yeah. Right? Because we're all different. Yeah. So with Dylan, I, I think from young he had always shown uh, 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 he's, like got, he's like a wise old person. So even when he was five, he started asking these existential questions like, why am I here? What is life? What, um, if I'm not religious and, and let's say I die, well, do I wake up in heaven? Mm. You know? Um, am I the son you thought you would have? <laughs> what kind of children will I have? So all these questions were very forward projecting. Uh, yeah. From a very young age, he asked that. So he was very self-aware. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, And you, you were having a tough, tough time. I wouldn't be able to answer those questions. No, I enjoyed it. You, <laughs> okay. You, you can't, it's okay to go, I don't know all the answers. Okay. And that's a key point in parenting because we try to you I know everything. Actually, you don't. So it's okay to go, we don't know everything. Let's discover some of the things along mm-hmm, the way. Mm-hmm. You you read some philosophy books and then share with him and, and then you explain, this is one school of thought, this is another school mm-hmm. of thought. So when I, uh, he was about six or seven, I uh, in my previous job, I had to go on stage and give talks. I used to bring him up. So when he'll come out on stage and he'll sit with me and I'll do the talk, and, but I'll tell everyone... This is my son, I'm introducing him. He's not going to say anything, but he's just going to sit here. <laughs> okay. So it's just to get him to sit here, to look out into a few hundred people, and then get used to it. Yeah. And then when he was... Baby steps, right? Yeah. It's so eight, important. Eight years old, I said, okay, I'm doing this talk. Maybe I, I'll weave you in, I'll blah blah blah, and I'll do this. What would you say? You know? So he'll bring some of his things into it. Mm. So his first TEDx was at 10, when I was asked to give a talk about the future of urban farming. Yeah. And I go, I'm not about the future. We should ask someone for whom the future means something. So I went back and said, Hey Dylan, got this talk you want to do it. Right? So he, he said gardening. So the good thing was he goes, you know, it's the first time I'm doing okay, I'll I'll do it, I'll try. You ha we, we write the script together. Okay. So we wrote the presentation and and he was amazing. He presented, no problem. All right. Ten minutes. Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes on yeah, the stage. It's right? long. No problem. And then the second TEDx came about Where he had to go This was tougher This was the biggest TEDx in Singapore And he had to go through Three rounds of audition TEDx Singapore Yeah So there was three rounds of audition And I actually went along He said Why don't you also present on this And I present on this Was it his
0: idea That he wants to present the second To
1: Yeah to be on I, I said again? There's this TEDx on this Would you want to do it uh, And since we have published the book Shall we talk about the book mm, So Marketing. he goes Okay uh, then then he says why don't you present something else so, oh, so, so we went for the audition he, he presented I went for audition then, then we sat down then you got graded by everyone yeah yeah you yeah. know then Dylan can grade me I think you suck that one wasn't so good <laughs> so I go thank you so and he got chosen I didn't ah okay so I go okay you're right uh, you know I sucked and uh, he had to go for audition blah 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 we, we auditioned and fine tuned the presentation and he so now... He knew it. He's been uh, giving talks. He's given talks for the... He's now a paid speaker. Speaker. So P&G Whoa. now... Uh, uh, got him to talk at the regional global... No, the global marketing conference. Uh, SAP. He opened for the National Library Reading Month with uh, the ministers. And, you know, So all these things he's been doing. Cool. And now he's quite professional. He goes... I'll tell him here's this engagement they've asked you to do this uh, we've got how much time and there might be Q&A and all so he's quite in, he's quite okay about it now. wow so
0: you just he sort of just threw in, threw in the blank you know what? He, yeah so right. he,
1: he's yeah he's, he knows what to do so but he'll go like okay, and the money I mean, is being saved into your bank account like, this I'm, is your future no, I'm month I'm spending it <laughs> and okay. of course it pays oh, for yeah, 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 my Um then he's like um, he goes like okay I'm a bit uh, we can't keep doing this we have to do new things so we're doing the, the new uh, Kickstarter kind of crowdfunding Indiegogo project mm. so there's something new to keep moving on mm.
0: actually um, I kind of want to talk more about the, the book that you, you wrote uh, which actually ties into TED so you talked about TED a little bit um, which is based on the book called The, the Big Red Dot uh, that you write and Dylan illustrated so, I have so many questions, that, I mean, because the book covers such a range of philosophies and concepts from feminism, existentialism, fear of trying, the, how to have unwavering positivity, yeah. and even a little bit of story of David and Goliath, how to, you know, feeding the mold and bullying. Yeah, what, 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 what was the, the story behind
1: the story? And, so, the book was actually written for my kids. And you go, again, you start with the point of view, exponential future. So what what are the values needed for the 21st century? If things are changing so quickly, exponentially, then obviously adaptability is very important. Uh, That's Darwinian theory of of evolution, that the most adaptable species, not the strongest, the most adaptable will survive. So adaptability is the most important value now. Uh, Creativity, uh, resilience, self-confidence, critical thinking, uh, and, and, you know, the courage to ask why and why not. So these were the values I wanted the kids to have. So how do you get those across? So I thought here was this idea of the big red dot, uh, this journey of a little red dot who then eventually, through her journey, becomes a big red dot. Uh, I tried to tell them this story in a way that these values already live in you. So the story of the Big Red is actually the journey of Singapore. There's yeah. Some, there's some parallel. I thought there was some parallel with your story because too. The, yeah. So it's all that journey of the underdog and all. But if you think about it, Singapore was a startup in the 60s. We yeah. were a startup. We were, had to start a company, a country from scratch and build something. Yes. To build something, you need to be entrepreneurial, risk-taking, Uh, do things no one has done before, Mm. Uh, try, fail, and all. We had all those values. Mm. Right? Now think about it. How many of us have those values now? None. Right. Why? Because we've become successful and the reverse happens. Correct. Right. So we become Nokia. So I want to get them to become uh, like Apple or Nike where you might be doing very well but go back to being a challenger. And the easiest way to tell that is to tell people that you actually already have those values. It's in your DNA. Because you're a Singaporean, we were risk takers, we were the startup, it's in you. You just have to dig it up. Then it's not so scary. You cannot, you tell any Singaporean that it's undeniable. You go, Were we a startup? Yeah. Did we take risks? Yeah. Did we do things no one has done before? Yeah, JTC, e, we did all those things, right? Yes. So why are we so afraid to do these things again? Then it becomes a very logical... People go, yeah, actually, yeah. So you already have it. You're not discovering and and trying to create something new. It's inside you. Just dig it up. So that was the idea behind it. Uh, Actually, a book for my kids. But, you know, let's see whether it could uh, resonate. Because it's for uh, the future of this country as well. What do we need? Do we need more people to follow by the rules? Uh, more imitators or do we need more innovators and inventors that's a question and in an age of exponential change I think we need the latter and was
0: that one of the projects that you started after uh, doing this hypothetical
1: yes so that was the, uh, the project that we did so along the way the book cost us a few thousand to print Mm. But you can take the few thousand and go, oh no, Dylan we will send it for math tuition. They'll pay for years of math, <laughs> math tuition, right? Yep. What would you learn? You've learned a years of math, right? By Thiger's theorem yes. and, and all. What did he learn from this? He learned how to illustrate, understand uh, concept, debate on how to frame each page and the style of his drawing. He picked a certain style uh, he picked the paper stock Went to the printers Look at the quotes Figure out how to price the product Had to go to farmer's market To cold sell the product That means go up to strangers Hi I'd like you to buy this book And then people were like no. So he came back he goes, This sucks No one's <laughs> buying my book ah, ah, ah. So I go Maybe you should think about it that Here at a farmer's market Your kid selling them a book What would they want to hear How would you approach it Maybe telling them ah. I just want a book I wrote a book, that's not interesting, right? Uh, I'm selling a book, that's not interesting, right? He goes, yeah. So he thought about it. Then he goes, uh, hi, you know, uh, I'm Dylan, so I'm 12 years old. You know, I just wrote this book. Would you like me to read you this storybook? You know, and he targeted these people who come with little kids. So if you're a parent, you go like, wow, what a precocious kid. Okay, I'll listen. Then they listen, then he goes in and go, oh, I'm selling the book over here. You...? So he learns that, Uh, There are many ways to skin a cat, and then while he was initially, believe it or not, he was quite shy. But he overcame all that to be able to. How how many adults have that skill? No. So how many? What what are the things you've learned in this process? How many kids? Zero. So how many? What is the process that you've learned from this, as opposed to taking the money and going for math Mm. tuition?
0: Agree. 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 I actually want to talk a little bit about the engineering and the training that you have learned behind a TED talk maybe just a quick like two minutes thing you know how 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 to polish up you know what are some quick advice for people who are, who are on the TED stage because I bet you have studied it a lot and you know come on uh,
1: well, okay based on my experience yeah. just be yourself uh-huh. uh, and let your uh, your personality come across okay um, be You know, everyone say, oh, no hand movements, hand movements, or stand in the (laughs) spot, and people tell you, imagine you're a tree, and your feet are rooted, and you're as one with the stage, and all that, or can you imagine everyone, if you're nervous, imagine everyone naked. The problem with all these things (laughs) is, for example, you imagine everyone naked, and you're looking out there, and then you, you go, oh my god, you shouldn't be naked, you certainly shouldn't be naked, you, oh... It's, it, at the end, end of it is, you're there to tell a story that is meaningful to you. That you hope can influence someone and change or uh, cause a change or to turn on a switch in someone's head. Mm. So your message needs to go in with a, a point of view and a purpose. But if you're there presenting a PowerPoint, going from slide to slide, memorizing it, then there's no purpose apart from there you're presenting. it. You're not contributing and giving a point of view. You're not changing my life in any way. And so that's the first thing I told Dylan. You are there to articulate and deliver a message. If you can be there, and, and after telling this story about the big red dot and telling people to dream big and believe it can happen... And that if you keep singing the song of try, the big red dot in you will grow bigger. If a few of these people walk away thinking and believing in that and actually affects the change in your life, it has worked. Okay, so you have to go in with that feeling and that point of view. And then how you present it, you should be yourself. If you're cheeky and all that, then be yourself. People resonate with it. Oh, I like it. Okay.
0: Uh, on a personal note, uh, your tattoos actually. So, Kevin have these two square tattoos on the, the inner side of the arm.
1: Uh, oh, you the... want to know Is it is? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is done. Uh, uh, so, my uncle downstairs, actually. Oh, okay. This a... is my name in old Chinese. Done like a chop. Okay. 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 okay? So, it's done like a chop. Su Wei An. Um, and this was done after my dad passed on. So, this was like a way to remember him and to remember myself. Mm. This was done after the children were born. The last character of Dylan's name is Jun Yi, which is one, and then Ava's uh, name is Yi Xing, which is heart. So this was done like a uh, old, also old Chinese Yi. So the two characters is Yi Xing, one heart. Oh, wow! Oh. So it's just done like a chop.
0: And you and was that the first the first tattoo? First, second. Second.
1: Right. So uh, you know, so the kids ask me, you "Go, oh, you got tattoo?" I go, "Next time, if you want to have a tattoo, you can have a." And what's just, a tattoo about you? you just guys? make sure it's meaningful. Don't go and do barbed wire, and then after that, five years from now, you regret it. Just make it meaningful. It's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's a good. That's that's some good tattoos you got there. Uh, so you actually opened the stage uh, for South by Southwest. No, I, I gave the top.
1: South by South yeah, first. no. It's
0: just, so about the top, when you open it, you mentioned you briefly mentioned about. Getting married uh, at the White Chapel, and then it was then it was thirteen years with your wife, and now like adding up the years, is sixteen now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what, what? Who is this mysterious uh, woman in your life? And
1: uh, you work. you work so hard in the advertising industry that um, you tend to marry your coworkers. So she was my art director in, in uh, Young and Rubicum, actually. Wait, well, it was the first, the second. Second agency, yeah. Oh. So, yeah, so we, we kind of had a torrid office affair like most advertising agencies have. And, and you know, it kind of worked out. And, um, and, and we've been happily married for 16 years. And, and marriage is like a career. It's hard work. No, you know, I, I, I make no bones about it. We tell our children, it's not this bullshit Cinderella sleeping beauty, uh, handsome prince coming to sweep you off your feet. I, that shit doesn't happen. Um, it's a lot of hard work. At the end of it, I told them, our job as parents is to help you find yourselves and understand who you are first. When you find yourself, then go and find someone to compliment you please, for heaven's sakes, don't go and find someone else to fill a hole in you because you don't know who you are because that's the biggest mistake you could do. So that's the advice we give our kids. <laughs> find yourself, know who you are. Was that advice for yourself too? I think that's, that's the thing we... we uh, I wish someone had told me when we yeah. were young and gave me that kind of advice. And, you know, we came from a time where... Um, you got together and you were determined to make things work. So, you know, in the course of relationship, we've had uh, quarrels, we've we've had cold shoulders, you know, the usual. Uh, but I think uh, the point the the point is we both shared the same point about life uh, and how it would go, and it is the beautiful compromise. That's what I talked about. It is. Life in itself is the beautiful compromise. When you're born, you die. Mm. That is a compromise that you, you have to accept to raise. How do you happen to end up at the Whitechapel? <laughs> oh, because we were doing that road trip throughout America. Oh, that was, that was then. That that was when was when so we go, go oh. off to Vegas and then we had 1998 um, Memphis, Tennessee, Elvis of the Year singing for us on our... our no our, way. Night. Yeah. So you, you create all these That's things. Awesome. You see, I'm talking about it 16 years from now and we'll probably be talking about it, I'll be, before I die, that'll be one of those things that will go past you in your, in your 10 seconds of <laughs> you know, whatever. You're not thinking about your Maserati that you used to drive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, one of the more important questions,
0: actually this coming from me. So there are so many interesting projects and so many interesting people that I meet and probably are constantly pitching you interesting project. What are the guiding principles of the True North for you right now?
1: Um, I think you, so if you know yourself, then you, one of the things I, I try to get the kids to understand that it's okay to make a profit if you have a purpose. So don't, don't go into a business to make money just because you can make lots of money, but at the cost of, whether it's the environment or or the fabric of human society, etc., etc. So have a purpose and then profit from it. So I kind of look at things that way. Will it help us all? Is it good for us? And one of the things, well, that's one of the reasons why we call this place One Kind House. We we want um, ideas that are kind for uh, Humanity and, and maybe a bit more selfless rather than being a bit more selfish. So I judge ideas that way. Uh, and then the other thing is when you have an idea, obviously the most important question is is there an a audience for it? Mm. Are there customers for it? If you don't, so when you talk to people, a lot of people have ideas and all, but they don't know who's going to buy into the or product use or... or use it and all. Then you go, until you understand that, you don't really have a business.
0: Those are two really good points. Okay, so we're going to jump off to some uh, quick questions. Before um, and Uh are there anyone or any decision you own your success to?
1: Anyone, I think I owe everyone my success. I, I think anyone who has better pick one cross and pass. Like, Don't worry. Sorry. <laughs> So many ex-girlfriends to credit this <gasps> success. I heard, I heard. Quite no the Casanova. I, didn't laugh. no <laughs> la. I was a virgin when we got married. Um, uh, you can put that on camera. Some Someone's actually like laughing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would say uh, the grounding came from my grandparents here. So I grew up in a house where we had six uncles, six aunties. And it was a very big family. We didn't have a lot of food, but there was a lot of love, and there was a lot of affection, and there was a lot of sacrifice. Mm. Um, I remember my grandmother, who in the late seventies or so, she had cancer of the colon, and she colon. was actually given like a year or two to live. And she walked around with a, a, a bag, right? I can't remember what it's called, but the bag's outside. And, but she lived for 10 of her years, um, and she was very strong. She, despite all that, she was still carrying on her life as normal, being the mother of, of so many children. She would wake up, she would make the coffee in the morning at 6. She would wash the clothes. Those days, there was no washing machine, so she would wash her, the clothes by hand. Her hand, when you held her hand, was full of calluses and bunions and hard-wearing skin. Uh, And then my grandfather was in a job where he worked very hard. He did anything the bosses wanted him to do. He would wear a shoe until there was a huge hole and he will put a tape over it and he will wear it. So he was very frugal Frugal. uh, because he had a family to feed. Mm. And we didn't have a lot to eat, but we made the best out of it. I think the experience, the grounding experience was that um, it, money was, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. Uh, at the end of it, the, this community and the people around you are, are the ones that matter the most. Mm. So you work towards that. Advices, uh,
0: you're 48, so advice for your maybe 20, 22 years old self, And maybe a 30, at 32. So 22 and 32 and place us where you're at.
1: I, I, you know I, if I look back you go it now makes sense the journey and to arrive here now after this I don't know where I'm going to end yeah. okay we all don't right we all think we do but we don't but now when you look back it's what Steve Jobs said all you can do is collect as many dots as you can and when you look back you can see how it connects but you can never see how it connects going forward mm. so I wish when I was doing two I collected more dots Okay, I wish, um, despite all all the journey, you know, I wish um, I had believed in myself more, uh, and trusted yourself more, that things will work out, you know. Um, and I think that advice will be consistent when I'm thirty. 32. Yeah, it doesn't okay. matter. So at any stage, now I'm telling myself, don't worry, it'll work out because you've had experience, it's never let you down before. Something <laughs> will turn out and something will happen and something will be good for you. Yes.
0: Uh, any books or documentary to recommend? Uh,
1: my thing is, I, I used to read everything and anything. So my, when I was growing up, my parents, my mum, spent a lot of money to buy me the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh. Which was very expensive and all that. And it was like, uh, the year I was born so I read the Encyclopedia Britannica that was the, the my Google right so when I went to school and people were talking about sex education primary school kids they, they, they only know the rude Hokkien names I can give them the scientific name the Latin I can give you the, the Latin names I can tell them every part what, 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 what part of the female anatomy are you talking about where, where, yeah, I can tell them all that and they were going like what are you talking about you know so, just read anything. I, I would read anything. I think the most important thing is just be uh, curious and, and one thing to learn and to find out and just be open and, and don't be... I mean, with also the economy of time, um, so, I mean, like, since you read so much, is there any... You can read so much... Stuff that, you... that stood out. For, uh, okay, you? as you get older, you kind of want to read opinion pieces and okay. to find out what people think. Mm-hmm. But generally, now, also on social media, when you have... You say something and people get like, offended and they write in and all that. <laughs> I think the, the thing I've realised is you, I, I don't go into any disagreement wanting to be right. I actually go into the disagreement or, or if people disagree with you, wanting to learn. I go, why do you say that way? Why do you think this way? And then you put your point of view. And then it doesn't matter whether they agree or disagree. People get very protective. Oh, you have to agree. You go like... Why should I agree with you? I just want to learn, mm-hmm. and I've learned something. I might not agree with you, but I've learned something. Thank you very much. So it's a very, very uh, polite way, and a very, very um, kind of um, educational for me. But when you have the mindset of "I have to be right," then it's sometimes people don't don't think about what they're saying. They they don't think about whether it makes sense or not. They just want to be right, mm. and that's a different mindset altogether.
0: Okay. Morning routines or routines and habits that you find important?
1: You, uh, I I can procrastinate or I can then, you know, we. I'm not a fixed creature of habit. So okay. there'll be times I wake up in the morning and we'll go for a run, I'll go for a run, go for a workout. Like this morning we went to, for a run, went to the park to work out. And then, uh, or some mornings you sleep in because I have the luxury too. Um, but I think you, 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 We put too much pressure on ourselves and say we have to live and behave a certain way. So I think if you take the pressure off and the guilt off and go, look, sometimes you really have to get up early and go exercise and get off your butt. Fine, go do it. And It's the hardest thing to do, to wake up and push yourself off. But you think you can't not. It's good to do that so that you, you remind yourself what it means to push some things through. And then on the other hand, it's okay to don't feel guilty, have another slice of chocolate cake and sleep a little bit later. Yeah, It's not going to kill you. So don't, we don't beat ourselves up so much. I don't beat myself up so much. If you were to be
0: given a bus poster to design, uh, what is it going to say?
1: To design what? Yeah,
0: anything. Whatever you want, your heart desire. You want a contest, you got this poster, it's a free space. For you to, to put anything
1: on it. Ah, then you you uh, you you try to make the bus poster uh, <laughs> uh, of some use. Do you put a solar panel? You put a rainwater harvesting unit, and you could be growing stuff. You put a post. You put a, a poster that uh, uh, has a solar kind of oven that can compost stuff that can be done. Uh, you can put a poster that has a solar panel and then charges people's handphones. That could yeah, be that. that could all work. Right?
0: What are some of the most common misconceptions about you or
1: your work? I don't know. Mm. I've never stepped out myself to look at myself. Um... Some people say maybe I'm too westernized. Some people say I'm too local. So it depends on my mood. If I speak too much Hokkien, then to the pe- those people, they go, oh, this guy's not too, too Singaporean, too local. Or sometimes when you speak too well and, and on subjects that are a bit more esoteric, then they go, uh, oh, he's too west. I think, okay, okay. people think I'm anti-establishment. Uh, and in Singapore, anti-establishment means anti-government. Uh, actually, it's just... It, I, I see it as like you, you, you can support a football team like Liverpool or Chelsea or Manchester United, but just because you support that team doesn't mean you can't criticise that team. Mm. So it's very silly for people to go, as long as you... Because they want to win an argument, so you criticise you're wrong. Actually, no, you're just applying some critical thought and, and uh, thinking to the whole process
0: yeah okay so i guess uh to almost end off what are some of the projects you're currently working on and what can
1: people look forward to so the biggest project we have now is this house one kind house Um, so dylan has his projects doing the book and doing the uh, uh the giy stick and ava has her project she's uh, an avid ice skater, so she skates competitively, and she's driven. She will wake up at four o'clock, and she will wake us up, and we'll have to take her to Jurong uh, Skate Ring to skate. So she will do that. Uh, in the meantime, she's sewing this, so I'm wearing her creation. Oh. So she, she learns how to cut uh, the pattern and then sew it with an interlocker and uh, uh, the commercial sewing machine. Wow! And she's sewing this, and we're selling it here. So they all have their projects. And to do, yep. and they understand that they can make a little bit of money out from it. So they learn that when I make things with my hands, there's some reward. There's also a, a, a financial reward. Mm. You know, th- those things are important. Um, uh, my mom has a new lease on life now. She goes to the park, does the tai chi, she does the garden. She now does cooking sesh- lessons where. Uh, you pay to learn old recipes, and, and she will cook, and some of her friends will come, and the elderly have shown a lot of support. They want to showcase uh, their recipes. So there's dignity in growing old. We all will grow old one day, and you just think about it. Do you want to grow old working in a McDonald's or a Hawker Center clearing plates? No. So we have to design a better future for the elderly, and there are ways to do it. So this house is sort of a social experiment to figure out. Um, uh, so my mom has that. Um, the, the growing of the vegetables means that we're all kind of connected to nature so that you understand the cycle of life. Um, and the problem that we're facing in the world is we're so disconnected with nature that we think what our actions have no consequences at all. Um, and the last thing is this house could be an incubator for incubator for young artists, chefs, chefs. Um, maybe even new ideas and startups. So there's a coffee guy coming and we'll have coffee throughout the whole day. And maybe you can come here and and use this as a co-working space. This space we use as a tuition coding place and kids can learn. So uh, where can
0: people find you and follow you on the interwebs?
1: Um, I think you can find me uh, on... um, It's funny. I think you can (laughs) find me through my son. So if you Google Dylan So you can find me. (laughs) That would be my answer. <laughs> and to follow... And to, follow and, and, uh, to go back to your <laughs> question about children, I don't, I don't take Ava and make her do the TEDx talk because she doesn't like public speaking. So I don't force her. I go, you don't like it? That's fine. We brought her out on stage before with her brother, so we're together. But she goes, I don't like it. I said, okay, we don't push it. What do you like? And how do we uh, work on the things you like? However, at some stage, we told her after you've let's say designed something, you've still got to figure out how you're going to front it to sell it. So it's important. Maybe now you're uncomfortable, but we'll work towards getting you to a stage where you you can be comfortable enough. Okay, so we adjust accordingly. They're both very different. They're different. All right. We work to their strengths. No, right. It's
0: exactly the reason why I, I asked uh, the question. Um, So yeah, so we've got
1: to find, uh, you can only find Kevin Dylan. Yeah, Dylan, so D-Y-L-A-N-S-O-H. And then look for (laughs) C-A-L-B-I-N-S-O-H. I'm on Facebook, okay? Okay, So it'll be easy. But you don't want people to add No, I... Please, please add (laughs) No. If you try to add me with no profile picture, or you have a very busty picture of yourself, I'm not going to add you. Okay, there you go. There
0: you go, (laughs) this is it. All right, people it's over. Well thank you so much for staying throughout the show. Like as always, all show notes, links, books can be found on the website Brianvictor.com. And if you guys have any comment on how I can improve the show or better questions to ask, please comment in the blog post or send me an email. And also if you have any misfits that you would like to hear more or learn more, feel free to recommend them me recommend them to me. Uh, and yes, thank you so much again and I will see you soon.